0: Chapter 23 of Prodigal Daughters by Joseph Hawking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter 23 The Horror of the Awakening. When Eleanor entered her cheerless room, she found it in entire darkness. Ellen Chellew had not returned. Switching on the light, she locked the door. What if Wakem should follow her? Presently, as no one came, and the silence of the night had fallen upon that part of London, she felt more calm and collected. She was able to think, and to understand what had happened. Oh, the horror of it all! The brutal, naked Horror! She felt she had become years older in a day. A hundred things which had been mysteries were explained, and the explanation was ghastly beyond words. What should she have done if Rod Ravenscroft had not appeared? It was only a chance in a thousand that he was passing there at that moment. Supposing he had not seen her, recognized her, she shuddered at the thought of it, and what must he think? HE HAD HEARD WHAT THOSE MEN HAD SAID, EVERY WORD OF WHICH BURNED LIKE FIRE INTO HER BRAIN. HE MUST DESPISE HER, HE MUST THINK HER. THEN THE SECRET OF HER LIFE BECAME PLAIN TO HER IN A SECOND. Without warning, and seemingly without reason, her whole nature was revolutionized in a moment. She, who had laughed at the thought of love, knew that for will or for woe, she loved the man who had rescued her that night. She felt as though she were going mad, horrible as had been her previous experiences. They were as nothing to this. Suddenly— It had come to her that Rod Ravenscroft was all the world to her, come to her at the time when he must be thinking of her with loathing and scorn. She could not understand it at all. Hitherto she had thought of him kindly, and regarded him as a pleasant fellow, but utterly old-fashioned and conventional. On one or two occasions, before her father came home, she had gone with him to places of amusement with her mother's consent and approval. More than once, too, she had had an idea that he was fond of her. But as for caring for him, the thought had never seriously appealed to her. For that matter, she had regarded herself as incapable of love— and had felt a kind of contempt for girls who would sacrifice the liberties and privileges of girlhood to become the wife of any man. And now everything had changed. It seemed to her as though some new part of her being had been called into life, and that everything else in her past was submerged in this new, wonderful passion which possessed her. She did not know whether she admired him or not. She had a feeling that he was strong and chivalrous, and that he suggested safety and confidence. But somehow these things did not seem to matter. He was the only man in the world for her, and all her past dreams seemed like so much mockery. Her heart went out to him in its entirety. All the wealth of her being was given to him, He was her king, her all. She would brave anything for him, do anything to serve him. If, if... But no, it was too late now. She had made everything impossible by her own actions. What did he think of her? Her mind swept back again over the events of the evening. She saw herself accepting Wakeham's invitation and going with him to the tawdry music hall. She remembered his coarse, vulgar laugh and his still coarser remarks which she had listened to and not rebuffed and then there was the horror of the nightclub afterwards. She had found herself in a place which was the resort of bad women and worse men. It was true many so-called society women went to such places. They went there to see life, as they termed it, but she found no comfort in the thought. The horror of that hour haunted her. She remembered the coarse girls who came and greeted her so familiarly, called to mind their painted lips and cheeks, their coarse laughter, their silly, vulgar chatter. And she had been there among them. She had allowed herself to be accompanied by a man who was a member of the club. Perhaps by this time the police had taken possession of it, while the names of those who had been there would, on the following day, be published to the world. From what had she escaped? But that was not the worst of it. It was the hour which followed. Wakem had spoken to her as though she were a thing, to be bought and sold. He had made suggestions, which made her wish that the earth would swallow her up. She felt demented, horror-stricken. This, then was the actual outcome, the grim and ghastly logic of Tamsin Corey's so-called advanced views. She felt that her womanhood was besmirched at the thought of it. Then she recalled that other scene, when, after a mad struggle, she had managed to get into the street and had fled from what now appeared to her in its ghastly nakedness. She thought of the drunken men who had spoken to her, of the words they had said to her, and then came Rod Ravenscroft. What must he think of her? Yesterday she professed not to care, but today, now, the world had become changed. She hungered for the love she had scorned, hungered for the love she had laughed at, and she had made everything impossible. How wise her father had been, how kind, and she had spurned his kindness. Oh, if he would only come to her now and speak to her as he had spoken to her months before. And then there was Peg. She had aided and abetted her in her mad determination to marry Barnes. She was largely responsible for the tragedy of it all, for it was tragedy. For the first time, she saw things as they really were. She saw Barnes as he really was, a low-bred, vulgar outsider, a man who was common to the fingertips. And she had half-encouraged Peg in her mad infatuation for him. If what his sister said was true, Peg's whole life might be ruined, and she, because of the attitude she had taken was largely responsible for it. Hour after hour, heedless of the passing time, she sat thinking. The night was wonderfully still. London was asleep. Presently she looked at her watch. It had stopped. Then she heard one of the city clocks striking. It was three in the morning. Why had not Ellen Chalew come? Where was she? She remembered the conversation which passed between them before she went out. She called to mind what Ellen had said. Then the meaning of it all became plain, ghastly plain. She shuddered and hid her head in shame. This was what loose conceptions of marriage really meant. This was the outcome of discarding the old religious beliefs in which she had been reared. And but for what seemed like a miracle, she—she—at length, tired brain and body could bear no more. She threw herself on her bed and fell into a troubled sleep. When morning came, she awoke with a great weight on her heart. Something horrible had happened— At first she could not tell what, but presently it all flashed back to her. But she was less excited now, and could think of things more calmly. She realized that she had her future to face, and she must think what to do. She counted her money carefully, and as she did so, the grey drabness of her prospects rose before her again. First of all, she determined not to go back to speak in Burnham. "'After what had happened the night before, it was impossible. "'She simply could not sit in the same room "'with a man who had insulted her pride, insulted her womanhood. "'The very thought of it made a flush of shame rush madly to her cheeks. "'She would starve rather than live in the poison of that man's presence. "'Neither would she go home.' that was as impossible as the other. How could she? She called to mind what had passed between her and her father, remembered, too, what she had constantly said to her mother, for Eleanor Trelawney's pride was unconquered. All sorts of questions would be asked her, and she... no, she simply could not. She had left home because she wanted to live her own life. "'and although she felt she had been a failure, a miserable failure, "'she could not go back humbled and penitent. "'But what could she do? "'It was true she might be able to find a position in the city, "'but any respectable employer would want references. "'If she mentioned Speak and Burnham, "'they would naturally refer the matter to Wakeham, "'and she felt sure of what Wakeham would say.' "'Besides, she could not, she simply could not be beholden to that man. "'But she must find work, else she would starve. "'She remembered the Russian, who had offered her, whether seriously or not, she was not sure, "'a post in some organization which existed for the purpose of Bolshevik propaganda. "'He had mentioned a good salary, too,' but her heart gave no response to the suggestion. These people did not stand for law and order and decency. These Bolsheviks not only scouted the idea of God, but of all Christian morals. She remembered a sentence which this man had said to her. "'Religion is a sort of opiate, and opiates are always bad. Religion has no place in the life of a thoughtful man.' She could not help thinking of her father at this moment. He had given his life to the establishment of order and decency. How, then, could she work for that which he had offered his life to avert? But what could she do? That was the question which haunted her with grim persistence. A few minutes later, she sat down to her lonely breakfast— Outside, the church bells were ringing, calling people to worship, but she had no thought of worship. Her mind was too filled with the drab persistence of sordid facts. Almost mechanically, she washed the few breakfast utensils which she had been using, and then stood still. I'll go and see Peg, she said. I've neglected her. She was on the point of putting on her hat and jacket when she heard a step outside her door. Then someone knocked. Could it be Wakem? Had he dared to hunt her in this fashion? But she was not afraid now. Daylight gave her confidence, and a score of people were within call. The knock was repeated. Her heart beat wildly. Why, she could not tell. But she went to the door, and opened it, and saw... "'Rod Ravenscroft. "'Instantly her face was suffused with a flush of shame. "'She called to mind their meeting on the previous night, "'remembered what had taken place. "'Then pride came to her aid. "'Not for worlds would she let him see, "'or even suspect, what she felt towards him. "'Good morning, Miss Trelawney. "'You'll forgive my calling, won't you? "'But I thought you looked ill last night.' ''You are very kind,'' she replied quietly. ''Won't you come in?'' He entered the room hesitatingly, awkwardly. He, too, remembered the previous night's experience, and felt sensitive. As a consequence he tried to find something to say in order to explain his presence, but nothing would come. He was but a simple-hearted fellow, in spite of a brilliant university career, and he was not an adept in talking with girls besides the circumstances were peculiar by this time eleanor had been able to obtain control over herself somehow why she could not say he had given her a sense of confidence won't you sit down mr ravenscroft and will you please excuse me while i get the room into something like order i i did not expect a visitor she was glad she was able to speak calmly. Not for world would she let him know what she felt. Last night she had been mad with fear and terror, and as a consequence she felt abject, penitent. But now the old fighting spirit had come back again. She loved him beyond words, but she would do anything rather than let him know it. For a few minutes they talked on trivial matters, and never once did he refer to the predicament in which he had found her. But Eleanor knew what he was thinking, and while she dreaded explanations, she longed to stand well in his eyes. But how could she explain away what he had seen and heard? "'Have you been to Doulot lately?' she asked at length. "'Doulot was the name of the parish in Cornwall,' where the original Trelawney mansion was situated, and this had perhaps led General Trelawney to give his house at Hampstead that name. No, not for two or three weeks, he replied, but I sometimes call. You see, John is a great friend of mine. You have not been there this morning? He shook his head. No, Miss Trelawney. I suppose you have been wondering at the predicament in which you saw me last night she stammered i'm very glad i happened to be passing was his reply i had been spending the evening with some oxford friends we all met at the chambers of dick Pascoe, and i had not left them more than a few minutes before i i saw you i was afraid you were in trouble her face crimsoned with shame she longed to let him know the truth But she could not, her mind was torn by conflicting influences. I suppose you feel it your duty to inform them at Dulot of what you saw, she blurted out presently, and she was angry with herself the moment the words had passed her lips. I don't think I deserve that, Miss Trelawney. Come now, confess, and she tried to speak lightly. "'Haven't you felt all the morning that you ought to go to General Trelawney "'and tell him that you saw his daughter under the most distressing circumstances, "'and that but for you something terrible might have happened to her?' "'And if I did,' he flashed back, "'wouldn't it have been natural?' "'Yes, I will be quite frank and candid with you. "'I will take the liberty of an old friend.' I will even go farther than that. I will take the liberty of one who, a few months ago, dared to hope great things. But, of course, that is all gone now. She misunderstood his meaning, and a kind of despair came into her heart, which was mingled with an unreasoning anger. And why have you come here this morning? I came, I hardly know why. I came, I think, Because I wanted to help you. Why would you want to help me? Because you need help. I am sure of that. Yes, she laughed. I do need help. I need help in getting a position. I've lost my place. Her voice was hard and bitter. Come, Miss Trelawney, pleaded Ravenscroft. Isn't it foolish to talk like that? I'm sure your father and mother are longing for you to come home. My mother, maybe, but my father... Yes, your father, repeated Ravenscroft. I suppose you'll think me a prig, and be angry at what seems like bad taste in speaking, but I cannot help it. If your father saw what I saw last night, it would break his heart. She laughed defiantly. "'My father cares nothing for me,' she cried. "'He tried to treat me as though I were a child, as though I had no mind of my own, as though I were a little pet dog led by a string.' "'No,' said Ravenscroft. "'That's false. I have never talked with your father about your reasons for leaving home, but I know you're not speaking the truth.' Of course, it's not my business, but I tell you plainly, I think your behavior damnable. What behavior? She flashed back. Your behavior in leaving your home as you did. What do you know about it? Eleanor had become utterly defiant, and regardless of consequences, she was more than angry with herself at adopting this attitude, but she wanted to defy. Fy, Ravenscroft, wanted, in spite of the fact that her heart was even now yearning for him, to assert her independence and to fling back the accusations which she felt hung upon his lips. A score of conflicting passions surged in her heart. Love anger, tenderness, defiance, shame, pride, eagerness to explain, yet a determination never to yield an inch, all worked within her. What I did, I did after due consideration, she asserted hotly my father would not allow me to choose my own friends. He arrogated to himself the right of deciding who my friends should be, where I should go, and where I should not go, as though a girl of any individuality will allow herself to be dictated to in that way. Do you permit me to speak freely, Miss Trelawney? asked Ravenscroft. Yes, speak, she laughed defiantly. "'Then I tell you this. I think your father was right in insisting on what he did. No girl, if she cares for her own self-respect, should come home in the early hours of the morning, and refuse to let her parents know where she has been. No father with right feeling would allow it.' And you did these things, Miss Trelawney, and then, because your father insisted upon obedience to his will, you aided and abetted your sister in making a mad marriage and left home. What right have you to say this to me? And her voice was husky with passion. The right you gave me a minute ago, he replied. "'But that is not all. "'I have the right of one who once loved you, "'who months ago idealized you, "'and who would have given his life to serve you. "'I know now that my love was hopeless, "'but I cannot help caring for your welfare. "'And I say this, Miss Trelawney, "'you are leading a dangerous life.' "'What do you know about my life?' "'She asked. "'What I saw last night?' "'And because of that you came here to insult me?' "'No,' he replied. "'I came as one wishing you well. "'I came to ask you not to allow yourself to throw away your life. "'And because you rendered me a service, "'you claim the right to... to dispose of my future, I suppose.' "'In her mad anger, she scarcely knew what words were passing her lips.' I tell you this, Mr. Ravenscroft, I am fully able to take care of myself, and I could, if I felt so disposed, explain everything you saw last night, even to your satisfaction, but I don't feel so disposed, because you have not the right to know. "'Few girls in London are able to take care of themselves,' was his reply, "'especially when they are as beautiful as you are. "'If I had a sister, I would rather see her go into a house infected by smallpox "'than to see her living amid such companionships as you have chosen. "'What do you know about my companionships?' "'I know the opinions Miss Tamsin Quarry holds. "'I have heard about Miss Chaloo, who occupies these rooms with you.' I know men who know Miss Jeffreys and her friends, and Mrs. Gracechurch, who was divorced only a few months ago. How do you know these things? Because I have made it my business to find out. And his voice was as defiant as hers. If a woman lives in infectious houses, Miss Trelawney, the likelihood is that she will catch the disease. But I did not come here to quarrel with you. It came because I could not help it, and there was a catch in his voice as he uttered the last words. She looked at him quickly, searchingly. There was something in his tones that made her heart throb madly. Again her anger died down, and a great longing came into her heart to defend, to justify herself to prove to him that she was not what she imagined in her terror he thought she was. "'I know you're thinking about what you saw last night,' she then said. "'Let me tell you this, then. Although the circumstances were, yes, horrible, my mother has no reason to blush for me. I went, where I did, to obtain a post. I went,' in the hope of helping Peg. The rest was hideous, I know, but as far as I am concerned, you saw the the worst. She half stammered, half sobbed the words that came from her with difficulty, and she could not help a feeling of joy as she saw the changed look in his eyes. Miss Trelawney, he said quietly, I never thought harm of you that way i couldn't but will you not go back to your father no she replied obstinately she was afraid she had said too much and yet did not know wherein she had made a mistake her pride was surging back again now and with that pride a sense of defiance I know what my father thinks of me, and I will not go back like a prodigal child, even although he might kill the fatted calf for me. And she laughed bitterly. All I want, Mr. Ravenscroft, she went on, is the means to live my own life. Then you are leaving, speakin' Burnham's? How did you know? I am trying to put two and two together was his answer. They are cutting down expenses, replied Eleanor, and as a consequence, some of their staff is being discharged. That's not true, replied Ravenscroft. I know Young speak very well. It's one of the most prosperous firms in the city, and there is no thought of cutting down expenses. Then... Then... But she did not say more. The truth flashed across her mind. I have to leave there anyhow. I must. I could not go back. Again she noted the peculiar flash of his eyes. She felt that he knew more than he said. He rose to his feet. I cannot persuade you to go back to your home then, he said. She shook her head. May I tell your father and mother that I have seen you... No, I hope you'll tell them nothing. Nothing? No, nothing. He held out his hand to her. Good morning, Miss Trelawney, he said. I hope you'll forgive my coming, and of course I'd no right to speak to you as I did. Will you forgive me? Her eyes were drawn to his as he spoke, and something overmastered her. She knew not what. She felt that tears were welling up, "'that her lips were trembling, "'he held her hand in his. "'Will you not tell me that you forgive me?' "'he said. "'Go, go, please go!' "'And snatching her hand away from his, "'she flung herself on the chair, "'and burying her face in her hands, "'sobbed as though her heart would break. "'Mr. Lawney, said Rod Ravenscroft, "'anxiously, "'are you not well?' Tommy, go, go, please go, she sobbed. He stood looking at her for a few seconds, as if undecided what to do. Then, with a sigh, he opened the door and passed out, while she continued to sob, as though her heart would break. End of chapter 23